Happy Thursday, my dear friends. What a beautiful day at the end of May. I hope you're gearing up for a nice long weekend. A little relaxing as we ease into the summer season. Thanks to all. Thanks to all who thanked us, who gave to KZUM uh, on Give to Lincoln Day. We came in doing pretty well uh, by the end of the 24 hours. And of course, that is attributable to you, to your support, to your faith in the station, to your abiding presence. Um, We feel your love and we love you right back. Thanks. Thanks to everyone. So this is Jill. You're listening to K9 360. We're here on Thursdays talking about dogs and um, summer season kicks uh, my summer dog training school into high gear. Lots of questions, some old and unfamiliar, some new, some old and familiar and some new and unfamiliar. Um, so let's go back over some landscapes, see if there's anything that we can share here that will help you and your dog or dogs ease into your summer season. So a little bit of context first. Everyone who lives with a dog, including me, keeps three plates spinning all the time. Whether we know it or not, we're trying to balance leadership, management, and training. So some definitions. Management refers to all the physical apparatus that allows us to confine, restrain, or contain dogs so they are neither danger to themselves, to the household, or to the community. So management tools include things like leashes and collars, fenced backyards, crates, gates, exercise pens, and so on. Leadership refers to each owner's individual dog, uh, individual affect, right? Your personality, your philosophy and beliefs about dogs and their role in the family, your perspective on how dogs learn, your prior experience with dogs, your age, your own genetic temperament, educational level, and learning style are all part of leadership. It's what Cesar Milan used to call energy, if you remember back in the day when he was still relevant. Um, Okay, leadership can and does change slightly from day to day, probably affected by diet, hormones, the amount of sleep you got last night and all that stuff. All these pieces taken together help the dog understand you as leader. Training is no more and no less than putting certain of the dog's behaviors on verbal or nonverbal cues. So teaching sit, down, come, training exercises. All of us are integrating to some degree or another and all the time, these three dimensions of life with dogs. Sometimes we integrate them successfully and sometimes we fail to integrate them at all. But let's circle back here because there is a distinct difference between management and training. Management means to control the environment and access to resources. Training focuses instead on communication and clearly defining the rules and protocols for interaction with the environment that management tries to control. Management tries to create an ideal world with ultimate control over variables. Training recognizes the existence of a real world with the goal of internalizing certain lessons so that variables are no longer problematic. Do a computer search on dog training and management and you'll find articles on managed safety, managed aggression, managed devices, and preventative management. Management can be a wonderful thing, 
benefits include instant results and a reasonable temporary solution while the real work gets done. However, management alone should never be seen as the ultimate goal because when management fail or falls short, when management fails, and as a parenthetical aside, it always does at some point, that's where the real problems begin. Here's some real life examples. Casey. Casey is an intact male, five-month-old Great Dane. He's still pretty bubbly and his personality leads him to overt displays of exuberance every time the doorbell rings. At a rapidly increasing 67 pounds, he pounces on guests, full body slam, excited mouthing, and all of this is becoming simply intolerable. So mom's solution, put him outside every time visitors arrive. Problem solved, management always fails because we fast forward four months at nine months old and in the absence of any actual training, Casey is starting to develop some frightening and territorial behaviors. The doorbell rings and our poor pup is once again shuffled outside. Desperate to get back into his house, Casey begins a frantic search of the perimeter, discovers a screen door left open. Through the door around the corner and there across the kitchen heading toward the bedroom is an intruder in his house with his family. Moments later, Casey has accomplished his first documented bite as the startled and angry visitor is apologetically hustled off to the emergency room. And already on the wrong path, this young dog's future looks none too bright. Second case study. Larry is a lethargic yellow lab but he always amazes his family when the rigors of old age melt away in favor of a rousing game of dine and dash. His countersurfing habits have long been known to his immediate family, and they're well aware that when cooking times arrive, cooking time arrives, Larry must go to his kennel. But not everyone's been brought up to speed because offering to prepare dinner for the family, Aunt Sue and Grandma Barb are busy searching for the basil when Larry zooms into the kitchen grabs the whole rotisserie chicken and has himself a very fine feast. It'll be carry out for dinner tonight and let's hope that Larry survives the experience of eating cooked chicken bones. Number three, the well-intentioned family of three has just, quote, saved Angel, the two-year-old Cocker Spaniel from the local shelter fortified by horror stories of the Spaniel's allegedly abusive past, the family does their absolute best to offer up all the creature comforts surely denied to her for so long. Certainly training, discipline, and boundaries would not be appropriate for a dog that has already suffered so much. Several weeks go by, and as the honeymoon period comes to an end, Angel begins to set terms, the terms, for her own role and routine. During an evening meal, Dad has the audacity to pass within several feet of Angel's bowl and a deep growl ensues. Remembering all that they believe Angel has been through, the family quickly decides it's best to avoid any contact during mealtime, thereby preventing her fear from escalating. Unfortunately, four-year-old children are sometimes impulsive. While everyone else is in the living room enjoying the evening news, the youngest goes in search of her furry friend. Cries from the kitchen, 
conclude this story in a most tragic and though entirely avoidable way. It's back to the shelter for the dangerous, unpredictable, and unmanageable angel. So, enter any local pet supply store to find an impressive assortment of management devices from electronic to medieval, homeopathic to laboratory medications, quote, gentle head halters that are anything but, and all steel leopard cage crates, 50-foot retractable leashes and harnesses with more clips and buckles than those worn by the drivers in the Indy 500. There is nearly a limitless supply of equipment promoted as the secret for keeping the dog in line. Yet for all the tools in the world, endless management will still not solve capital T, the capital P problem. Guests aren't always aware of the kenneling ritual before dinner. Younger members of the family don't quite comprehend why puppy needs to be left alone. Sometimes a door is left open, leashes break, and batteries for the electronic collar go dead. Behind the lunging dog and stolen roast are underlying problems of relationship, leadership, socialization, training, and communication. As a dog trainer, I probably uh, have the biggest responsibility in reaching people. But as professionals, we must educate dog owners so they can learn how to manage and train their dogs appropriately. Behavior problems dissipate when owners learn to train and work with their dogs and respect them as dogs, not as fur babies or furry humans, but as the extraordinary creatures they're designed to be. It's training that provides what management cannot. It's training that repairs the relationship, establishes a viable system, of communication independent of management crutches and allows your dog to live up to his or her fullest potential as your best companion, thereby significantly enhancing our quality of life in homes, neighborhoods, and communities. That's the 360 part of K9360 concentric circles of home, neighborhood, and community. I think the biggest thing that people struggle with, I see it in my classes all the time, is this idea that you could hold a dog accountable for their behavior. I mean, why would you want to teach a dog accountability as a feature of basic obedience training? Mm, Why do parents teach kids accountability? Why do we have accountability to each other in relationships, professional and personal? Accountability is a feature of obedience training. First, we have a terrible lack, not only of available open natural space to move freely in, but also dog-friendly public areas to visit. How can a dog learn to be an engaged part of a person's life if there is nowhere for them to go together? But secondly, and more importantly, today's dog owners won't take the time to achieve actual accountability and reliability and may also lack the necessary understanding of what a dog is in a way that allows them to even begin that journey. So what do we have to understand before we can teach accountability? Dogs, we can think about a job for the dog and a dog for the job, but dogs are rarely obtained anymore for strictly utilitarian reasons. Americans these days get dogs as status symbols or in misguided attempts to provide companionship to children who are 
already overbooked with after-school activities and who would really rather be tapping on a screen uh, or playing a game on a computer than with a dog anyway, or to get the pay, to take the place of human relationships that don't fulfill them, hence the fur baby stuff. Now, you can achieve accountability. You can even achieve off-leash reliability with a dog. You will never get there with a status symbol or a child substitute. So here's some notes from my own trainer's journal regarding the teaching of accountability. The dog referenced was an 18-month-old deaf Yorkshire Terrier that I did uh, some work with as a favor to my veterinarian. And I took the dog in for a 10-day training program, which is something I never, ever do. But this owner was in her 80s, ready to give this dog up. The veterinarian was able to determine that the dog was deaf. And he called and asked me if I would, (coughs) excuse me, if I would help. So here it is, practical, on the ground, accountability. Cubby was very bright and willing, just waiting for some meaningful interaction in his life. Bold, confident, and eager. His owner complained that he was out of control, mentally misfiring, but he wasn't. He was just a deaf little toy dog that was being treated as if he were a toy. But deep down inside, he just wanted somebody to communicate with him and he wanted to be respected as a dog. So on day one, I started Cubby with the same protocol that I use in my summer 10-week off-leash reliability boot camp. Point-to-point work on a 15-foot light line. This method invokes a walk. It doesn't coerce it. The dog is allowed to learn by trial and error what works in the relationship and what doesn't. I don't have to talk, which wouldn't work anyway with a deaf dog. Um, And there's no food, no gimmicks, just good old-fashioned training. I gave him five five five-minute sessions spread across the first day. He was following me within the first session. When he was not paying attention or forging, I occasionally just stepped on the line. Stepping on the line when the dog moved ahead of me did three things. It turned him around to face me. It taught him that we were connected. It developed that relationship in a fairly quick, non-confrontational, subtle way. And dogs don't like surprises. So he began to inhibit his, quote, natural impulses a bit and started to look for me, especially when he got out ahead. Sometimes this was just a slight turn of his head, a subtle look back over his shoulder, what I call a check-in. During these initial conversations, the initial sessions, sorry, there was no conversation. I did smile and scratch him on the chin whenever he offered me a check-in or direct eye contact. No babbling, just keep things moving along. Day two, I reviewed the long line work and then introduced various distractions again in short sessions and various locations. I walked the dog toward the distraction. Appropriate, I do this at whatever distance is appropriate for any given dog. Usually the point of interest is where the dog starts to move forward. Started with less intensity and worked up to more. The same day, I also started to target train Cubby to follow a doll doll rad with peanut butter on it, right? A doll rod, mostly to save my back because he's pretty little. 
and began to shape the front sit. I lured him into position initially with a stick. Later in that same day, once he learned to look for the target, I transferred the target to my hand and just used a hand signal. Right finger moving from being extended toward cubby, then towards myself and up to my face with random food delivery after he sat and looked up at me. Immediately before I delivered the food or later with praise, petting, play, I praised him aloud even though he couldn't hear me um, because I think dogs can read our body language and our intent in that way. Um, And so I think it's an important bridge factor. It helps the dog connect connect the dots and getting two to three successful trials gives the, then I give the dog a mental and physical break. I don't drill, but I do accumulate a lot of repetitions during the course of the day in short little micro sessions. Cubby was 18 months old, took a little time to build up his attention span. After a few minutes of rest where the dog is allowed to sniff, look around, be a dog on the long line, I run the sequence again, then break it up with a little more focused walking on the long line work. By the way, the dog knows the difference between resting and working without a verbal cue because I rest too during the breaks and my walk training is more purposeful. The rests are helpful as we get older. (laughs) So by the time the dog understood that it could relax on the line, but it should check in with me fairly often in case I decided to stop moving or start to walk in a different direction, then we got to a place where we can introduce the distraction and it became especially important to Cubby to check in with me because when he was distracted, I became the least predictable and I was most likely to start off in the opposite direction. Those check-ins ranged from a slight head turn to a stop, turn and look. The distractions become the cues to pay more attention. If you're unfamiliar with this long line work, If the dog goes east, you go west. When they get to the end of the 15-foot line, they too are going west. It's nothing personal. It surprises them and it's not associated with you, but with a distraction. Coming to you brings comfort and relief. Once Cubby made this decision consciously, looked at the distraction but chose to follow me, I marked that decision and occasionally gave him a treat or a bit of attention. Days three to five, repeated days one and two, except I tried to work in as many different locations as time allowed. Taking him over to a school gave me plenty of noise and distraction right behind a fence during recess, long line work, and started the recall and then the target signal once he'd turned. Lots of confirmation as the dog is coming in on the recall. As long as he's focused, you can cheerlead even if the dog can't hear you. Front sit was verbal and a target signal. Food reduced to about 10%. He loved the attention, petting, and getting to play with a toy. Keeping his paycheck kept him interested. And I worked on a few other skills during this time. Patterning housebreaking, loose leash walking, place to a bed, down, waiting at doors, etc. Days six to eight, we worked on loose leash walking kind of a Keeler light line healing thing, but I put him on a little bit of a finer string, one sixteenth of an inch about the size and weight of one of my vertical blinds. You know, those strings, I pull the blinds, right. I did tag him with a hacky sack a few times and stepped on the line when he ignored me. On other occasions, uh, I would tug him sharply around within one second of communicating him 
to him he needed to come to me, prayed him all the way in as he traveled to the front. He really patterned off that one second timing sequence consequence and started beating the tug regularly. And so I was able to use that strategy to call him off if he was chasing another dog by using that same process. Days nine to 10, I transitioned him to fishing line attached to a fishing rod. Don't laugh. It was a little hard to reel him in. So I mostly used it to check his forward motion by setting the hook. Not an actual hook for you literalists. Just stopping him with a real break, rod and reel break, when he ignored me. The last day I went to six foot drag line, started out in controlled space and worked recalls back up to the strongest temptations. At that point, off leash under controlled circumstances, he was about 95% reliable. So I elected to keep him on the drag line with supervision. Here's the thing. I don't believe in leaving little toy dogs unattended ever. Where he lives, if the coyotes don't eat him, the hawks or the owls will. The presence of the line from that point forward was his connection, a reminder of the conditioning we'd established through the use of all the line work. The owner will have to go through the sequence from long line to drag line every single day in order for this to transition successfully. I can tell you that once Cubby had been home for three weeks, the only time he had wandered off or left his unfenced two acre yard was when the stepkids decided to turn him loose from the deck and not keep an eye on him. Step grandkids, I think. He was totally off the line and he got stuck when his coat tangled up in a bramble bush. Thankfully, the owner found him before the coyotes did. What can we say except express frustration? One of the reasons I don't do this sort of thing, probably one of the reasons you shouldn't either with respect to something called board and train is that transferring the training, taking the training home, if you will, is only as good as the compliance and the cooperation and the support in the home. If the mom or the handler doesn't get much cooperation from the family, then we have to sit down and have a whole family talk about not sabotaging the training, which would make a cute little dog like this pay the ultimate price. Undercut or sabotage his training and he could pay with his very life. And I can tell you that in Cubby's instance, we did have one of those sit down meetings and it was incredibly hard to get the adult children, remember I said the owner was in her 70s, 80s maybe, it was incredibly hard to get them involved. In the end, Cubby was a lot of fun, very responsive, intelligent, and willing. We quickly developed a good relationship once we could communicate in ways that he could understand as a deaf dog. What I did, I don't know if it would work for every dog, um, but it sure worked for Cubby. 
and uh, what we did subsequently was switch him over to an electronic collar. I can talk about that on another program. Um, that ended up making all of the difference for him, uh, especially in the presence of that big wide open space where he really needed not to go somewhere. Could we have done it without the collar? 100% we could have, but not without total compliance and cooperation at home. And it was pretty clear that was not going to happen. So um, so we defaulted, right? We went back to what I talked about at the beginning of the program. We balanced management and training in a way that allows this home to keep their dog and allows this dog to keep their home. And I think that's what ends up being the ultimate goal anyway, right? And making all the difference in the world for Cubby and for his owner. And uh, I learned a lot working with him. Um, I'm actually kind of grateful for the experience. And uh, I, w I won't say there was a lot of experimentation. I pretty well knew what I was going to do with that long line. When I transitioned to the e-collar, that took a lot less time, like 48 hours for him to figure out how much of that was the same. Um, but I did call a colleague in Chicago who has done that several times before and uh, she was delighted, happy to walk me through uh, some of the finer points and I appreciate I appreciate you, Mary, if you're listening. Thanks for the help with Cubby. Um, anyway, all right, you guys. I think glancing at the little clock on the wall, the clock on the top of the computer, that we are just about out of time here together on this lovely Thursday. You still have some time to get outside, but you shouldn't. Well, if you do, take us with you. A little earbud, a little uh, KZM in your pocket because the celebration's coming up. And no, not the celebration. We're not on Wednesdays anymore. What am I even talking about? I forget about Thursdays, right? This is, people say, is it hard to train old dogs? It is because when we say old dogs, what we really mean are old people. All right, stick around. It's KZUM, whatever's coming up, all the good things. You know that. Thanks again for all your support, for your help with Give to Lincoln Day. Uh, what a cool thing to be able to lift up great places like KZUM. KZUM, here it comes. You know it's coming. KZUM and KZUM HD, the coolest radio station in the world. I'll see you back here next Thursday. And guess what? By then, it's going to be June. Wow. Have a safe and happy Memorial Day weekend. Take care.